Hello and welcome to the Ramen Profitable Podcast. My name is Atish Mazumdar and I'm here with my co-pilot, the great and powerful Chris Scott. And this is the podcast about testing out your ideas, taking your first steps, and really overcoming those obstacles on the way to entrepreneurship. Enjoy. Tell me if this makes sense to you. My gym opens up at 4 or 4.30 in the morning every day, uh, Monday through Friday. Okay. Right? So then I'm able to wake up at 4, be at the gym at 4.30, be done with my workout circa 5.36, roll back home, take Grizzly for a W. I can't say the full word because if I say the full word, he gets all fucking keyed up. Just like I can't say the full uh, – P-A-R-K word either. That'll wow. lose, lose his mind. Yeah. So we go on a W and then I, I'm able to come back, shower and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm ready. I'm able to sit down at my desk 7 a.m. like ready to rock. The problem is, is that for some reason, the gym doesn't open up until 6 a.m. on Saturdays. And it's like, that's the day everybody can wake up. You know what I mean? It's like it's harder for most people to wake up earlier on the weekdays because ostensibly they have families, they have whatever, like they have obligations that keep them locked into a different kind of daily rhythm. But on the weekends, the days of rest, so to speak, um, you know, people are able to get up earlier or do whatever the fuck they want because they can take a nap later in the day or they don't have to take their kids to school or they don't have to do whatever. But yet that's the day. And then it gets even worse. On Sunday, they don't open till seven. So what is the point of me waking up so early if I can't get this? So then now I'm backlogged till six. Six to seven is about my workout time. Roll back through. Got to take Grizzly for a W. Got to do all that kind of stuff. So basically there's all, all this stuff gets just way too um, crammed together on my Saturday mornings. And it's pretty much all my gym's fault. Right. Yeah, it's all your gym's fault. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it just like just from a personal standpoint, does it make sense to you that they open up later on the weekends? Well, you did say that the weekends are rest days. So are you ever taking a rest day? Me? No. Well, then maybe you should look into that. No. And uh, then also, I'm sure there's like a, a logistic, like a logical reason why they cl- open later. It's because probably everybody else takes a rest day <clears throat> and no one's there. So why open yeah. it up for one person for three hours? That's true. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right because they – okay, here's why you're probably right. They probably opened up at the same time every day of the week but then discovered nobody was rolling in on Saturday that early. So they're – because uh, – yeah, because nobody has work, so nobody has to get it in before work. So therefore, you know, okay. Right, and also look into taking a rest day. <sighs> Maybe I, I took a rest day in the middle of this week, actually, and that kind of suits me a little bit better because that way I'm just able to like wake up, read for a long time, then do all the other stuff and still get to my desk early. Um, but yeah, no, Saturdays are the best days to work out, not the best days to rest because I have all day. I can take as long at the gym if, as I want to. It's not crammed together and all crappy. Uh, Sure. But everybody's Basically, working for the weekend, though. That's true. Everybody is working for the weekend. Well, it may be a moot point because have you seen uh, have you seen the commercial for the mirror? Oh, is that that new one? That new like Peloton esque device? Yeah, it's it's Peloton esque. So the mirror, I guess this is what I've gleaned because now all of a sudden I was watching videos on it and I'll explain why. (laughs) So. I guess what it is, it's not the kind of thing that I would have bought, right? Because just from a general sense, because for me, it's like, okay, well, it costs uh, like 34 bucks a month for my lifting gym. Right now, jujitsu is closed down because mm-hmm. of COVID and such. Right. So, so all I'm doing is lifting. But 34 bucks a month, I show up, I lift their shit. You know, whatever. It's it's like, yeah, do I have to, you know, sometimes on Saturdays <laughs> start my day later and stuff like that? It's like, yes. Am I potentially exposing myself to COVID despite the fact that I wear a mask the entire time and I use Purell wipes on the equipment before I use it and after because I'm a good gym citizen and everyone should – those are those should be the key rules, right? Wipe down your shit, number one. Number two, um, uh, re-rack your weights. Oh, <laughs> Yep, just yeah general advice for life even 
Yeah, that's that's general advice for life. Re-rack your goddamn weights. Anyways, so the mirror, I guess, is a Peloton-esque. In fact, you're so on the money by calling it a Peloton-esque device because it's very it, – the, even the business model seems Peloton-esque to me just from what I've seen. But I guess it's actively a mirror, but it shows you images. It projects images too, and so it projects like – an instructor doing a class and this is like high intensity interval training or this is, you know, whatever they have yoga, they have, um, they have, uh, you know, some plyo stuff. They have stretching, they have like workouts. They have, don't they have, uh, like pulleys attached to the wall that you can pull on or is that something else? That's a separate. Okay. So that I think you're talking about is tonal. Okay. Which is, which is another device, which I don't know what digital weight is. Because yeah, they, they, this ad keeps coming up on my Instagram and it's like this guy, he's buff and he's whatever. And he's like, I bench 315. But then they set it to 150 on the tonal device and he's like shaking on the way up. So it's like, so they say digital weight is different than a, like actual weight. But it's like, what is digital weight? Like, what wow. is that? That is interesting. I wonder if like, it's some sort of like resistant pulley me- mechanical device. I don't know. It, it must be, right? Because I don't understand, like, maybe I'm pretty simple, which I am, but I don't understand how, because all it is is the force applied to the object, right? And so it's, you know, force equals mass times acceleration. We all know this, right? Of course, So, yeah. So what I don't understand is how something that is supposed to weigh 150 pounds digitally would require more force to move than something that would be 150 pounds. And this is where, like, if anyone, you know, all of our two listeners will be typing in and being like, he's such a fucking idiot because he doesn't understand this. Anyways, I digress. So the mirror, like, has these workouts. I don't think it has pulley attachments, but it might. I don't actually know. I I haven't looked that deep into it. So, um, but uh, a sales rep, uh, our number one sales rep, has been talking to me about it for, you know, going on like six to eight months or something like that, like telling me about the mirror and how great the mirror is and all that kind of stuff. And uh, first of all, though, he's got his own like he's living my dream because he has his own shed in the back of his yard. Um, But it's not like a small shed. It's rather large. And it's his own home gym. And it's like, son of a bitch. That's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I want. But anyways, because then, see, then I eliminate this problem of now, oh, 6 a.m. I have to I can only go to the gym at 6 a.m. on Saturdays. Not a problem if you have your own gym. So. So he's been telling me about the mirror. I looked into it because he was he was like, oh, you got to get the mirror, man. You got to get the mirror, especially when I was complaining about um, gyms shutting down during COVID. Right, (laughs) right. So I look into it. It's fifteen hundred bucks for the device itself. And then it's 40 bucks a month uh, for, for uh, uh, like whatever a, you classes. Have to get, yeah. Yeah. You have to get like, you have a monthly yeah. membership. So it's like, okay, 480 bucks across a year plus 1500 up front. I was like, Ooh, that's, that's steep. Like I'm working out for 34 bucks a month at my gym, you know, uh, and, and this, like even like the home workout type of thing, it's like, nah, I, I, I like to lift heavy weight. I like to do whatever. So this is all rounding somewhere, I promise. (laughs) So uh, yesterday, you know, God, we've been working on this deal with uh, maybe I shouldn't. We've been working on this deal with some county somewhere um, that uh, has been taking a long time. It was supposed to be we were supposed to pull it in last year, but things just weren't, you know, they're contracting their legal process. This week has been an absolute nightmare because just things were not organized properly. But now all of a sudden this particular county is ready to close. And so I'm just like, ah, like I'm doing everything right because, oh, no, the sales engineer is on a flight and we need this document now. And I'm not an engineer, so I don't know how to do it. But like, whatever, I just I'm going for it because nobody else is available. And so then uh yesterday uh this uh sales rep the the top performer of our company every year he asked me for my delivery address and an email and i was like oh he's you know the, every now and then they send me booze or something like that like i got this really good bottle of scotch uh over new years oh, nice. uh, or or for christmas but then i drank it all over new years because uh we were playing settlers of catan oh man nerd <laughs> <laughs> and i wanted to be a land baron so i just like drank all the scotch mm. 
Um, but then so I wake up this morning. The dude bought me a mirror. Whoa, that saves you fifteen hundred bucks right there. Well, I mean, to be honest, I never was going to buy it, but <laughs> but he bought me a mirror with a year access. So it's like all that upfront cost and stuff like that. I, you know, so it's pretty cool. I'm it's like, OK, I'll give it a shot. Like, let's see. Let's see what happens. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, well, you're not, now you have to do it because he talks about it all the time. Yeah. And he uh, probably bought it for you. So he had someone to talk to about it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. Like, I feel like it's like being a crossfit guy or something like that but you know a lot of people do crossfit i don't actually know anyone other than him who does the mirror so it's like he probably yeah you're right he probably just needs to like talk about the mirror to somebody (laughs) so now you have to work out twice a day yeah yeah so now i gotta i'll do one in the morning and then i'll do uh some mirror stuff in the evening i don't know so uh Maybe uh, for our YouTube channel that hasn't <laughs> really pushed anywhere yet, maybe I'll do a review of the mirror. <laughs> but how are things on your end? Uh, things are going well. Uh, you know, it's just another week. Yeah. Yeah, it's a new year. Working new year. on things, chipping away at projects. Nothing. I didn't get a mirror from a top seller. Yeah. yeah no, no mirror on Chris's end. Although no. you've got that that studio space. That looks ideal. Yeah, you could totally uh, in- install that mirror here if you want. Yeah. I mean, I think it requires a, a stable internet connection, which I think neither of us have. But yeah, but eh, eh, it, it's yeah, fine. Okay, it's work. fine. It works enough. Yeah. Well, great. Um, so, I mean, that <laughs> I guess is what counts for an intro on this podcast. But uh, welcome back to the Ramen Profitable podcast. Uh, we're continuing our series. I think this is the last one. This is the last one we were talking about. Uh, for our kind of like new year, new you entrepreneur toolkit, what things are, you know, going to be important or critical in 2021. Uh, And if I'm remembering my episodes clearly, we've arrived at the final tool in the toolkit. Uh, And this one's honestly my favorite. So I've really been, in fact, the whole reason I started talking about this is so I could talk about this particular, I set up this entire series just so I could get to this episode. That's exact. This is what I wanted to talk about. All right. And what is that tool for the toolkit? We are talking about talent stacking, talent or, stacking or pancake stacking as, uh, as Chris put it the other day. Yeah. You got me in the mood to want pancakes. I haven't had them yet, but, uh, maybe tomorrow. What do you think about pancakes with raisins? Uh, I haven't tried it yet. I mean, we had it in that I, one I time. We had it that one time, but we just sprinkled them on top. I thought they had to be cooked in. Oh, yeah. They have to be cooked in because it's a whole different thing. Why did he sprinkle them on top? I forget. It wasn't him. It was the kitchen. I guess the kitchen didn't understand. <sighs> but it's on their menu. I know. I, okay. It, it was like nine years ago. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, if, uh, if um, you know, we ever get to go dine in a restaurant again and... <laughs> if uh if we can go back to that same place then let's let's go in for some uh some raisin pancakes sure yeah it's a let's, dutch thing he doesn't let's, understand let's do it okay okay so back to the topic at hand talent stacking so i feel like this is the um like concept du jour right now or something like that uh it's it's really blowing up or at least it certainly was um Last year and then into this year, like I, I've seen a whole ton of blog posts about it and stuff like that. But really, the concept of of talent stacking originated from uh, Scott Adams, of all people, who not many people know because he's the creator of Dilbert. Like that's his most like that's the thing that he's done that most people know, which was, you know, syndicated in a lot of newspapers and all that kind of stuff. But it's not. You know, it's not in my top ten <laughs> of of like best cartoons of all time. Because um, it was a newspaper cartoon, right? And also a cartoon cartoon. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was syndicated. Oh yeah, you're right. It was it was a TV show at one point in time too. Yeah, I think it was on like Comedy Central late at night, maybe. Huh. Well, yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's definitely not you know the the things that I am too. It wasn't really on my radar. To be honest with you, it wasn't, you know, it's before um, your time. Probably it might have been before my time. It's kind of like when people talk about Doonesbury. I don't know. Should have like that was before my time. I read a lot of Calvin and Hobbes, though. I'm very familiar with Calvin and Hobbes. 
Not familiar with why everyone wants a sticker of Calvin peeing on things, though. Yeah, I don't get that either. I think it's I probably uh, like a early 2000s, 90s punk thing. Yeah. Like yeah. it's something that uh, uh, like Green Day or. Uh, sure. What's sure. another one? Uh, NOFX. No. No. Um, that I'm thinking of. Oh, I'll think of it. Yeah, and then I'll just totally. randomly blurt it out. <laughs> Perfect, because that's how you make a good podcast. Um, Yeah, so uh, the creator of Dilbert, Scott Adams, um, he's most known for Dilbert, but he also has created a blog. Um, That's he created a blog first, and then that kind of turned into a uh, podcast. So he does a podcast called uh, Coffee with Scott Adams. He was also one of the people who is uh, of the of the group of people who take to Twitter, who I actually think are good, like what I would want to use Twitter for, um, because most people use it to basically give status updates or then to retweet things from famous people. It's like, I don't give a fuck about any of that. But if people were using Twitter the way Novel Ravikant or Scott Adams do, which is that they just put big ideas there. And it's like, that's interesting. That I'll fucking read all day. He also does things on Periscope. So, Essentially, talent stacking came from, I think, one of Scott Adams' blogs, but he's then talked about it on his podcast quite a bit. Um, There's several videos, like with interviews about it. It's really blown up since then, but it originated on his blog. And to put it simply, um, I guess to give some context, it would be incredibly difficult to be the best of the best of the best. That's a line from uh, Men in Black. Best of the best of the best, sir. Um, <laughs> uh, it would be really difficult to be the best filmmaker. You know, in, in Chris's, it's like you got you to gotta compete with, I don't know, James Cameron or whoever, like people think is the best, right? James I, I Cameron. Know. Wow, that was a... I'm watching, I'm rewatching Entourage and uh, I'm on oh, the, Aquaman yeah, the Aquaman season. season. Yeah. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. So he was just top of mind. I don't know. Who, who's the best filmmaker? I can't say. I don't know. That's I guess it's up for debate because it's so, you know, dependent on the person's viewing choice and sure taste sure. in movie. I guess yeah. Justin right. Lee from the Fast and Who? Furious movies. Oh yeah. Well, it would be okay. Yeah, exactly. So it would be very difficult to become the best of the best and do that one discipline. Like I am going to be the best filmmaker and I'm going to be better than Justin Lee, the creator of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um, he wasn't you know, the creator. That, he just like revitalized it. He kind of oh, made well, them what they are today. Yeah. Okay. He uh, he is. I don't the, think it was Lee. I think it was probably Chu. I don't remember. <laughs> well, you're just a fucking racist now. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> We're going to have to do another like mini episode after this episode. <laughs> of me um, just apologizing. Yeah. 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 Um, Lynn. It's Lynn. Justin Lynn. Yeah. Apologies to. The Lynn family. The Lynn family. <laughs> Anyways, um, so it'd be really difficult to make sure that you're the 1% of the people who are, are that. You know, similarly, it'd be very difficult to be, um, you know, a coder or something like that. And you are just miles ahead of everyone. You know what I mean? Like miles ahead of Gates and all the people that he has on his team, all the people that Google has on their team. Like that would be incredibly difficult to do, right? Like that's that's very nearly insurmountable i guess i guess one did you say. ever watch like um i don't know if it was the history channel or something like that but it came out maybe 10 15 years ago mm-hmm. and it was when uh just to uh, bring bring it back to uh bond of course there was like mm-hmm. a like a history channel uh debunking like becoming bond show and they're like what it would take to become james bond in real life Oh, is that what's on Hulu? Because there's something on Hulu called Becoming Bond, but I've never watched it. No, that's about George Lazenby and how he became uh, James Bond in uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, okay, okay. But no, it, it was real life people saying, hey, if you're an expert marksman, this is what you have to do to become an expert marksman. You have to shoot mm. every day. You mm-hmm. have to practice every day. If you want to be an expert driver, you have to drive every day. You have mm-hmm. to hit the course uh, more often than not. You have to, if you want to be an expert fighter, you have to you know, train every day at the gym. So how many right. hours in the day does it take to acquire all these skills to become an expert at them? Right. And that's encapsulated in this one person. And it's impossible, you know, to be an expert lover. You have to love everybody every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, just how much time in the day is there to actually 
work on your craft and your skills in all of those areas to become an expert in them. Yeah. And it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's incredibly difficult to become like the top tier talent in these fields. Uh, Unless you are, you know, born with some natural innate talent and unless you commit every day all the time to it, you know, and some people do like some people can and some people do. And that's great. However, what the concept of talent stacking really is, it, it ties really well into uh, authenticity. We talked about authenticity last week. So, you know, I kind of think that last week's episode and this week's episode kind of really kind of uh, pair really well together. But the the very generalized kind of way to think about talent stacking is instead of becoming the number one at one excuse me one singular thing you're becoming uh you're becoming an expert or at least good enough in a multitude or a sum of things that makes you very unique to the market so therefore instead of and and that kind of this ties back philosophically to uh the blue ocean strategy which uh man if you want to hear about blue ocean strategy i think we talked about that back in creative strategize synergize you can find our back catalog wherever podcasts are found but anyways uh but it kind of ties in really well with the concept of blue ocean strategy in that it's not really about uh you can go and try and compete and be the best uh weightlifter You know what I mean? But everyone is already doing that. That's already a thing. You can go and compete and try and be the best filmmaker, but it's very oversaturated. But in the case of Scott Adams, what he says essentially and how this originated was, well, I wasn't really the best artist and I wasn't really the best kind of like business guy. Like I didn't, you know, have all that. And I wasn't really the best writer and I wasn't really the funniest person. But because I had, I was good enough at all of those different things, I was an office guy who also knew how to draw like cartoons and stuff like that, who was also I was good at making funny observations, not, you know, uproariously, you know, like killing at comedy clubs or something like that. And I was good enough at writing and and storyboarding and stuff like that because of he was good enough at each of those things that really made a unique talent stack that enabled him to build a cartoon and a business around a cartoon that, you know, nobody else could have pulled off. You're not going to see somebody, um, you're not going to see somebody who's able to do that same kind of breakout, uh, as, as, uh, Scott Adams or similarly, you know, nobody's going to outcompete. for instance, everyone, uh, everyone knows my, uh, love for Joe Rogan, despite, you know, eh, I'm not really that, I'm not really that, uh, in love with the transition to Spotify for various reasons, but we can talk about that at a different, different episode, I guess. But, but, uh, you know, no one's going to outcompete Joe Rogan at being Joe Rogan, right? He's a, he's arguably one of the best podcast interviewers of all time. He works for the UFC. He's a stand up comedian. And now he also has business ventures where he's, you know, it's like, you're not going to outcompete, someone like that so that's where uh the new guru novel ravikant said a great phrase like i I love uh i love the way he put this and it pairs really well with talent stacking which is the best way to escape competition is just to be authentic to yourself so no one is going to out scott adams scott adams and no one is going to out joe rogan joe rogan so the best way to make sure essentially what the what talent stacking posits is that the best way To put yourself in the 1% category is to sum up all your relevant and unique experiences and uh, and skills, work at those, and then make yourself kind of your own category. Right. I mean, it's definitely something to... This this makes me think of, you know, we can read all these stories, like people's biographies, and try and be inspired by someone's journey to how they became successful mm-hmm. and try to mimic that, but you can't become somebody else. You can't right. travel someone else's path. You have to define your path and take your own journey to success and define it for yourself. So I do think this is definitely something that will help people, you know, really look at themselves and be like, oh, I'm kind of good at this. I'm kind of good at that. I enjoy this. Let me put these all together mm-hmm. and do my own thing, create my own path. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's sort of the thing, you know, I still struggle with it 
um, today. And this is why I think this kind of thing requires some real, like in order to practically apply this, this requires some real soul searching and like self-awareness. You know what I mean? Because up until, up until, you know, just, I don't know, even last year, maybe I have been trying to like, I've, I've always been trying to check boxes. Right. And so what, you know, growing up, I was, uh, I didn't know how to do anything else. My parents were both scientists. They both did the same thing. They both went to grad school and all that kind of stuff. So that was the only thing that I knew. So that was the only thing that I was trying to do. And then I kind of pivoted, switched, and I've been kind of not necessarily running around like a chicken with my head cut off the past couple of years, but not moving very purposeful or with much direction. And I think that that's because ultimately, like, you have to, in order to talent stack effectively and in order to uh really have it increase or 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 do anything positive in your life you have to make sure that you're kind of putting emphasis in the right places and where that starts is doing some real deep soul searching and understanding what talents you already have what things are you naturally drawn to such that you know when everybody else wants to put an 8 hour day in you wouldn't mind going on that for 10 12 you wouldn't mind putting in weekends, you wouldn't mind, you know, whatever, all in pursuit of that, that sort of, I I guess that, that pursuit or that, that talent or that habit or that whatever. So I think it requires a whole lot of self-awareness to be able to really effectively talent stack, like know where you're putting your effort and know where you're putting your eggs, so to speak. Right. I don't know. How, how have you, how have you like, because you're, a little bit in a unique niche in Tucson specifically because you're not moving to LA and doing that. Like you, everyone essentially for whether it be for commercial work or something like that, they would be moving to LA and doing that, which then effectively, I mean, that's fucking red ocean, right? Like that's, that's oversaturated. Right. Well, it's a big fish in a small pond here versus little fish in an ocean over there. Yeah, that yeah. type of mentality. I think what what I'm hearing out of all this uh, talent stacking is that it's it's not allowing you to put barriers up for yourself. Like it's allowing you to be just okay at something. Mm-hmm. I'm just okay at uh, invoicing people. I'm just okay at pitching stories to producers. I'm just okay at cinematography. But I'm mm-hmm. kind of good at this, and I'm kind of good at writing, and I'm kind of good at you know, gluing it all together. So I think it allows you to kind of uh, progress more. And as you progress more, you become more of an expert in those fields. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, think about it this way, right? Like, and and this is why I think um, talent stacking is, I mean, really the best time to have learned it was 2020. But the next best time to learn it, obviously, is today. Because right think now. About what, Right now, this second, <laughs> stop this podcast. No, don't stop this podcast. Keep listening. Then go do it. <laughs> and then, then stack your talents. Yeah, then stack your talents and, you know, hit like, subscribe and comment. Um, but think about, for instance, all the things like YouTube is blowing up, right? Like people are making money off of YouTube in a way that has never, ever, ever been done before. And for instance, I see... Uh, you know what Tori watches a lot of and while she's like getting ready and stuff like that? I see this all the time. And it's not just Tori. It's also my buddy Colton's wife and like all these people. Like everybody, uh, uh, when when Tori's sister came over, they were watching this video. Tori's friend came over, they're watching this. They watch um, these makeup artists on YouTube. Like you've, you've realized this is a thing now, right? It's been a so, thing for a very long time. Has it been? Yeah. I feel like a lot of YouTube has been the same thing for the last 15 years. Oh man. Well, so maybe they've just learned how to monetize it differently then. Yeah. People so. are making money off of YouTube in a way that yeah. they just weren't, you know, that long ago. But, but I think about this and I'm like, okay, so here's this person who, you know, obviously has some, some skill. Like they're obviously skilled at doing this, but they would, if they were the best at, at this, then ostensibly they would be doing it for, you know, photo shoots with the Kardashians or I don't know what the peak of that 
industry is like, but I imagine that's something like what it would be, right? Or like doing it for fashion shows or something like that. But this person definitely has, like they have good enough skill in that it's something that the average person can't do. Then this person has like, um, you know, they can they can um, make something entertaining. They're making an entertaining video. They have, they're, they're able to, communicate what they're doing effectively they're able to you know present well and all that kind of stuff and then they also have the skill of how to you know create a captivating video how to edit things correctly how to you know do audio and all this kind of stuff like they have some kind of video editing and and creation ability so while they're not the best makeup artist and while they're not the best you know public speaker or whatever and while they're not the best video uh, creator or like editor or or what have you, they're good enough at all three of those things to have a, um, you know, to have videos that have more than a million views and right. that they're monetizing this and, and just crushing. Right. So I, I kind of, I, I like what you're saying actually uh, just before this, where you're saying that like it kind of forgives you or it allows you to not be the best in that thing, because that's something I, I think we've had a conversation about this multiple times. Is that's something I struggle with, right? I'm always well, thinking like, oh, let me go get another degree. Let me go get another exactly, certificate. Yeah. But instead, just you know, if you if you uh, just create a unique sort of talent stack for yourself, and you are good enough at these things, it's not that you don't have to continually be pursuing that or something like that. But it's like it frees you from this need or this feeling that like oh, I always have to be, you know, uh, getting the next piece of paper or the next thing that qualifies me as an expert. It's like, no, I can I can do this job and I can do it really well. Right. It makes it all about uh, your progress, not about perfection. I know I feel like a lot of people focus mm. on perfection and like I need to be I need to be certified in something to be uh, giving advice on this certain topic. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, no, if you can provide results, that's what people uh, respond to that's what people connect with they don't connect with whatever piece of paper you have hanging on the wall i mean how often do people ask you about your degree never never and it's just you know and i people... spent so much time getting them to <laughs> <laughs> but people nobody gives a shit but people connect with results if you can provide results to people if you provide a service and you can deliver results for them people will connect with that and then you become more and more of an expert the more results you provide because then it's about you and your skills that you're sharing, not perfection that you're focused on at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's kind of um, I realized that it's it's kind of small at the moment. But I realized at my work, I kind of have a unique talent stack. And that's why recently things have been hitting high speed for me, because I'm not a sales guy. Everyone thinks that I'm a sales guy, but I'm not a sales guy. Like, not really, because I don't have the nerve to, you know, just like gamble on a, or it seems like gambling to me. And that's why I'm not a sales guy, right? I don't have the the nerve to be, you know, oh, I'm just going to ride these deals and I have a quota I have to make and maybe it'll come in. Maybe it won't. It's like, I'm not that guy, right? I, I kind of, I value stability a little bit more than the rush of, you know, like getting a big sale and all that kind of stuff. So I started my career in a sense under kind of more of like an analytical and data oriented track but quickly the unique because i'm i'm not the best at you know i don't have a finance background but all the people i work with have finance backgrounds i just understand math enough you know to be able to do what i do like i don't understand like they they do things they say things like amortizing and blah 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 all this kind of stuff uh, uh we're going to do a profitability analysis it's like that doesn't really mean anything to me but i understand the math i understand the concepts so therefore i just follow the logic like i don't i don't have to know all the fancy finance terms or something like that i just follow the math so i'm good enough at the math to do kind of this geeky sort of behind the laptop thing but there are people who are better than me at that like you know, there are people I work with who are better than me at that. But what those people don't have is they are they specifically are not in a customer facing role. They don't want to talk to clients and they can't they can't uh, explain things over the phone. They don't present well at meetings or at, you know, city council or all that kind of stuff. So I've carved a unique niche because it's like because I spent so many years in the service industry, I'm perfectly comfortable just, uh, you know, 
reaching out and talking to someone, I'm perfectly comfortable saying, oh, you know, I don't know that yet, but uh, let me go find out. I'll make sure I find that out for you. Or I'm comfortable saying, oh, I'm so sorry, sir, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. It's like I'm able to do these things. Uh, so therefore, I'm able to help the sales team by actually getting on calls. I'm able to do things. And then I'm giving they don't you know, need to lead, read this lengthy email from, you know, our data team or something like that. I'm able to just present basically for customers and explain to them why this is a good deal or why it's not a good deal. Uh, why all the all the kind of nitty gritty data stuff, I'm able to put it into a concise statement and just speak and present. So I'm not the best at the finance side of things and, you know, even the math and all that. And I'm not I'm certainly not the best at the sales side of things. But because I'm good enough at both, I'm riding this kind of middle line that nobody else can compete with me in my in my current workspace. There's nobody who does what I do. I work my position alone because I have this kind of unique like bridge on both. And so understanding this and understanding that that sort of talent stacking there, I am now starting to kind of do the deep soul searching to try and work out what that looks like for, you know, my life outside of the job, outside of the current job. It's like now I want to start shifting focus and thinking about, you know, uh, my career as an entrepreneur, the business that I want to start, and how am I going to – because as you and I have already talked about, there evidently are competing products out there. Yeah. It's, it's narrow. It's a narrow field, but it looks like there are people who are thinking the same way I am, that they they recognize this is a narrow field. They recognize this is a, uh, going to be a building spot. They see the potential. So I'm not the first one to have this idea, and I won't be the last. But I have to start thinking about how I'm going to uniquely position myself to be more successful in this field. Exactly. That's something that I try to do as well with Elephant Scout. It's like, what do I bring to the table? Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm ethnic. I'm, <laughs> I'm a, you know, I come from a diverse background. I have, you know, my experiences in life, I'm bringing to the table. And that's what's making my stories unique. And, and it's something that only I can tell. And, and they're not perfect stories. It's They're not done well. They're not done perfectly. They're not done mm-hmm. at the Hollywood standards, I guess, as right. you could say, which is what a lot of other companies here in town strive for. They kind of just strive for execution uh, technically. Like mm-hmm. I have the best camera. The technical camera aspect that I have is perfect. Right. You know, I have $40,000 worth of lighting equipment. And it's, you know, all these things, it's not really them, it's gear. Mm-hmm. And they're not bringing anything of that of them to the table, right? It's ha- it's how they use this gear, whereas I'm trying to bring all of my tiny, unique aspects on, into the film projects that I'm creating and presenting yeah. them, and hopefully connecting with an audience more so than with a piece of equipment, which is what I yeah. find a lot of people do in in filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, even consider like the projects that you engage on. I mean, I don't really know much about the uh, the scripted podcast or anything like that. But for instance, like doing Good Cop, Mon Cop and the, the series that's kind of, you know, trying to trying to move off of there. It's like that's unique to Chris Scott, because I mean, uh, forgive me if I don't remember, but your mother works in law enforcement, right? She's retired. Yeah. Or she used to, yeah, yeah. And she's like uh, retired and, ten years, and she just turned like she's turning sixty two this year. Holy shit! Yeah, how insane is that? That's crazy. Yeah, it's man. See, I'm I'm positive that if you do it right, you don't have to do this like work until you're seventy five thing. No, you or, don't, or like sixty or something like that. Because it's like my parents are old. My mom just retired and my dad still isn't retired. Now, a part of that is like a love for the job and, and yeah, bull, it's, bullshit it's, like it's that. It keeps them going. Also, yeah. your mom's home all the time. But I'm yeah. Yeah. But um, but like for me, you know, I, I'm if I can, it's like, man, I want to retire by 45. <laughs> That's besides the point. Uh, but yeah, it's like like your mom was uh, was former law enforcement and uh, and also uh, you're, you have a love, like you were kind of brought up on those movies, like eighties movies. Right. right? And that was like a big part of you growing up. So I kind of feel like even just in how you choose your projects and what you're kind of electing to work on is a direct authentic representation of yourself. So it's, you know, the less of the focus on, you know, I don't even know enough about this is my Canon red. That's the only camera I know. Uh, 
Is yes. that even still a thing? That's uh, the two different brands. Canon is Fuck. its own brand and red, red is its own camera, but um, they're both good cameras though. Okay. Well, whatever the point is, is that instead of focusing so much on like, Oh, I've got the the red and I've got this set up and I'm doing this, you know, specifically it's like you're more focused on presenting like elements of yourself and then connecting with the audience members who also like have those those sorts of things whether it's like a love for you know action movies or movies in the 80s or whether it's uh you know the kind of unique familial uh background that's kind of presented in in a good cop mom cop (laughs) uh you know it's like there's it it is ultimately a unique representation of yourself so and that's kind of why i was curious to talk about this with you because you're in sort of a a really unique place with talent stacking and all that because not only are you trying to run a business with very um you you know a very competitive business so obviously you want to be talent stacking to be able to carve a, a niche for yourself but also you're in a place where you know the difference between a good movie and a bad movie is rarely or at least from the layman's perspective not you know, I'm sure there are people who know things, not like me, but from a layman's perspective, it's like the difference of a good movie and a bad movie is rarely, in my perspective, about the technical aspects of it. Right. No one cares about it. Nobody cares about that. Like there are obvious examples, you know, for instance, I finally watched Tenet and there are parts where it's like the music's so loud. I was like, I have no idea what the fuck this guy's saying like, all right. at all. We should talk about Tenet at some point. We should talk about Tenet? Okay. We'll put that on the books. Put it but on the um but but yeah, it's like rarely is there a technical aspect. Like I don't notice when something is going weird with the camera or when the audio is a little off. If it's super obvious that the you know the mouth is still moving but the audio is going, you know, then maybe, but it's rarely about technical anything, which means that what I'm actually, you know, thinking what makes a good movie versus a bad movie is how much am I connecting with the story? How much do I like the characters? How much do I, is this pleasing the way this looks like, like kind of more generalized things like that. So in a way it's like movies and I feel like music and books are a unique representation of talent stacking because not only are you the person, the brand sort of having to, having to talent stack to carve a unique niche for yourself, unless you're a major studio or something like that. But also your work in and of itself is somewhat a representation of that talent stack because it'll look the way it does, like the way you do color correction or the way you do, you know, whatever. I mean, you're doing most of these things yourself, right? Right. So and it's not like that it's great. Gonna... <laughs> Just good enough. <laughs> Just good enough. But it's it's going to look the way it looks because you have made it look the way that you it looks. Mm-hmm. And it's going to sound that way. And the characters like you might get good performances, but if the if the particular take doesn't convey what you want it to, then you're going to redo the take, right? right? So, so the the movie in and of itself is like it seems like it's a it's a distillation of your talent stack or something, right? I mean, I mean, uh, when we had Sarah Jackson on in Creative I Strategize Synergize way back when, yeah, she had a quote where she said, uh, "Your art is not complete without an audience." Mm. And I think a lot of us forget about that part. We all mm-hmm. get caught up in process. We get caught up in ourselves. But, we, but, you know, we're trying to provide a service. We're trying to sell something. We're trying to share a story. And mm-hmm. when you do that, you're sharing it with an audience and it's not with yourself. And it's not with your fellow peers that are doing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, you can get advice from, you know, I get advice from other screenwriters and film directors and editors to give notes on what I'm working on. But it's not... Mm-hmm the same as sharing it with an audience An audience that has no knowledge as to how movies are made an audience that has no knowledge as to where stories come from. But mm-hmm. the only connection they have with the product you're providing is the actual product. Right. And so being able to, you know, use a, use my mediocre writing skills and my mediocre editing skills and, and actually being able to throw an event or a screening where people can come and watch things. It's, you yeah. know, putting all those things together, I think does make, an elephant's got experience unique and kind of stands out from everyone else. And it allows me to be myself in all of those experiences, which is what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I even forgot about the event part of it, but it's like, yeah, I, I've been to like a couple 
like film premieres in Tucson or uh, even even in a different kind of vein. I've been to like album premiere parties right at the at the rock or something like that. And it it actually is. It's like it probably as a result of also all the, you know, kind of the corporate experience that you have with, you know, Cox Media or whatever, like all these event style things. It's like you also know it's like, are you an event planner? No, no. <laughs> you know, no. But you know enough about doing it. And I got to say, like, that's that's also a, maybe something that's not acknowledged in your talent stack, but but should be is the ability to just like say, I'm going to try this. Like, I'm going to go do this and, you know, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. Right. Because so not only your experience being at events and being a part of events and stuff like that, but also your unique talent. Because I'll, I'll tell you, you know who isn't like that? Me. Yeah, you're I the complete opposite. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the opposite. It would never come to my mind to be like, oh, yeah, I should put on an event. <laughs> it's like that's that's not at all. I'm I'm even having a hard enough time like doing any kind or being helpful at all in planning my wedding. It's like I don't I don't do any of that. Right. But but yeah, so it's like I think a, a very valuable part and maybe one that we need to recognize a little bit is a big part of uh your your um talent stack is also just your willingness to try something your willingness to like go out and do something maybe fail maybe succeed like you don't know but your your willingness to do that is a big part of your talent stack and that's a big part of what kind of makes you uh successful in the niche that you carve for yourself because it's like man i can't think of the last time like there was somebody who was premiering, you know, generally the way uh, the film premieres that I've gone to in Tucson, they're like either showing at the loft or the screening room or something like that. So first of all, right off the bat, you differentiated yourself by going to the Rialto. It's like ballsy move. Yeah. Way different. Yeah. But then second of all, it was like, you know, we're kind of doing like a cocktail hour beforehand. Then we're all sitting down and it's like, you're putting on an event, you come out and you're presenting and stuff like that. And, uh, or man, even, um, like like both of them, uh, the Eddie Mummy one, you know, throwing a band in the mix, making it into kind of like a party afterwards and all that kind of stuff. It, it was just different than the way people are doing it in Tucson. Like they're, you know, because I've been to the ones at the screening room or whatever, and they'll do like a and a after that or something like that. And then everyone goes home like that's yeah, no. that's how it goes. It completely makes it so much more forgettable. Yeah, yeah because it, it makes it so much like everyone else. It's nothing. There's yeah. nothing unique about it. So, yeah, exactly. It's like it's like I go to the movies and, you know, uh, there there are some movies like Tenet where, you know, you're going to be talking about it after because that's um, one of the best. Like he actually is the the in the one percent. Uh, what's his name? Christopher Nolan. Nolan. Thank you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you don't want to as a local filmmaker, you don't want to try and compete with Christopher Nolan. Just like here's the movie. You're going to watch it. People are going to talk about it after. It's like maybe. Maybe not, though. Like, I, I don't know if you're Christopher Nolan level. You know what I mean? But if you are paying attention to your talent stack, you know the individual things that summed together, you can do better than Christopher Nolan. Then, like, yeah, do yeah. that. That's yeah. that's a better track. So, man, that's it's it's really interesting, like, thinking about it, like, thinking about your field, because no matter what, the work that I spit out currently is the same. Like at, at my current job, that is rather like it doesn't matter necessarily like I get things done faster, more accurate, you know, whatever. I have more attention to detail, yada, yada, yada. Like those things are all necessarily true, but it's not like my work currently reflects my particular talent stack. Whereas in the. I don't know if well, I'm maybe it f- does. Maybe it does. Maybe your ability to condense a. a, a- long email to something that's digestible <laughs> by common people maybe your ability to you know optimize a presentation to you know to yeah, potential yeah. clients you know your ability to translate jargon from different departments yeah uh, so they all can uh, you know workflow together better so there might there might be yeah. something there but that's sort of what i'm looking forward towards with um with flow roll uh-huh because here's immediately like right off the bat, it's like the two things that stick out to me. And because this is something that I elected to do, not something that, you know, oh, I need to get a job or I need to pay bills or something like that. Because trust me, this is eating up more money of mine than it is <laughs> like nothing. It's not there is no payoff yet. But already off the top, 
it's like because it originated as a project that I wanted to start doing already, that helped me identify where my talent stack in that endeavor is. It's like, well, I have a neuroscience background and some biomedical, so I have, have always been interested in supplementation and like optimizing things through, you know, uh, nutrients, vitamins, supplements, etc. And then simultaneously, I've been doing martial arts for a good or like a good portion of my life. So already that it like makes me feel and I haven't researched that much into the backgrounds of the competitors or anything like that. But it makes me feel like I have a unique thing to bring to this market because it, I'm not only just doing it to start a supplement business or something. I'm doing it because I want to use it and because I want to use it on the mats tomorrow. I want to go train. You I need want- to save this and put it on your uh, cold call script. Mm. You're uh, I'm a neuroscientist and background in biomedical. Not only that, yeah. I've been doing martial arts for 95 years. Put that, put that in your cold call script. Damn, this is the wisdom of Chris Scott right here. Because Chris, in general, like just as background, is uh, like whether it's because you've been kind of more bold with your career right off the jump. You know what I mean? It's like you've you've been in your own business now for a while, right? Yes. <laughs> Uh, but but that's part of Chris's talent stack. It's like he's just uh, he's he's more risk tolerant than I am, which is one of the ones that Scott Adams mentioned was that he was just like, yeah, I, I required a certain amount of risk tolerance to get out of my office job and to get into my own thing. And so Chris is in general more risk tolerant than me. And so therefore, because he has just more experience in this, like he is aware of the things that make a good mission statement or aware of the things that like this is the stuff you want to be putting your or you want to be like bucketing this stuff. It's like that other, all that other stuff you're paying a whole bunch of attention to. That's just the dressings. Like this is the core, the core stuff. And that's why, you know, Chris is able to run his own effective mission driven company, you know, because it it all points back to bringing uh, like an, films that are an homage to your upbringing and et cetera, but also bringing in diversity into a, uh, like diversity and inclusion into a field where, you know, up until very recently there was like none, right. Everybody was Brad Pitt, some white guy and (laughs) every, every, uh, actress was, you know, some white chick. And that was basically all the movies that it's for, for a lot of it, that still is a lot of the movies, but things are, you know, getting a little better things are progressing yeah things are progressing but so that's so you know you're you're able to run you're able to do a mission-driven company because it's like you have figured out through trial and error what the important stuff is and what the not important stuff is i'm still so like flighty on all that kind of stuff that i'm never sure so i'm just like telling a story and then you're able to pick out like that's the important shit make make sure you recognize it like i i'm just going off the cuff right so the point being is that like I can already see a path forward on, um, you know, my specific talent stack towards what I want to because I also have some general business experience now. Like I actually have I coordinate a lot of shipments to a lot of stuff like high volume things. I, you know, am doing speaking to customers all the time. I'm doing this. So it's like bringing that to the table now with the unique talent stack of having done martial arts for a long time in a science background. It's like, oh, this is actually starting to to pan out like this sort of makes Mm -hmm. sense and so i think that's where this deeply kind of connects with authenticity is that it's like this is something that i that's i'm genuinely interested in and something that happens to fall in my like it's it can't be a coincidence right that this happens to fall in my talent stack and this is now something that i'm interested in starting and doing it's they're connected everything's connected everything's connected it's like uh, it's like this crazy thing called life (laughs) <laughs> setting you on this wild journey to get you to this point where all the yeah. paths cross and intersect mm. at this one fork in the road. Is that the plot of Interstellar? <sighs> Probably. Well, I think that's more time-based more so than... Yeah. Well, like, I mean, love is the only thing that transcends space and time or whatever. <laughs> Wait, were we... Oh, yeah, we were going to talk about Tenet. Should that just be part of a general Christopher Nolan conversation because i think we were going to talk about that in general as well we can yeah let's do that let's do a because general christopher nolan conversation i've got a love-hate relationship with christopher nolan movies and um tenant is curious yeah oh tenant so the point being is that like 
if you're a listener who's younger than 30, uh, which is where I'm at. Or younger than 40. Or younger than 40. Well, that's implied. (laughs) Um, If you're you're young at heart. Yeah. If you're you're a listener who's younger than 40 and or a listener who's younger than 30. And or young at heart. And or young at heart. So an, an entrepreneur at any age. One of the things that just, you know, just to save you some time, I guess, or just to encourage you to save you some time. Not that that's necessary because uh, I read this book called Late Bloomers. We can do that on a different episode as well. But um, the the point is, is like in order to kind of save you time, and this is something that I'm like kicking myself for not having done, you know, a while back and not for Chris's lack of trying. Because that's the thing. It's like we've had this conversation so many times, so many times, but it wasn't really until I kind of put the work in myself. So that goes to show you that people can be telling you the right stuff all the time. But if you're not willing to put the work in and if you're not, you know, actively doing it yourself, it's not going to mean shit. But uh, basically figure out that authenticity piece. Because that will start to pull the threads on your unique talent stack. So do the soul searchy element of it. Even if it starts with just like, what is something that you find yourself doing every day? Not because you have to, but because you want to. You know, and obviously like watching TV is not <laughs> not one of those things. Unless somehow you can make money off doing that. Maybe you become a streamer or something like that. I have no idea what that looks like. But the point is, is like... I think where this starts is it starts with um, identifying your strengths and your weaknesses. Yeah. And being okay with your weaknesses and not letting them stop you. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Which that was actually primarily most of my struggles is like me halting myself because I didn't have a piece of paper that told me I was the best. I don't know what what that's about, but (laughs) the point the point is, is that really do the work, do the soul searching, do the, you know, be interested, be curious. And then from there, just start to dial in those specific things, start to start to really put it into practice. Now, the other side of this, here's the here's the downside to the talent stack. You're going to have to be constantly working. Because if you're not building on each of those things every time, then you are not uh, driving the true success that you could by being this unique niche. Like, you ne- you never know how far you would have to go on each of these things until you make it. So you you don't know if, if you know, by you deciding, like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm not going to, you know, in, in Chris's case, like, Uh, I'm not going to take on any more projects right now. I'm just going to do commercial work. I'm not going to do any, you know, like I'm not the scripted podcast, which is creative work or, you know, uh, any, any film that he's doing or anything like you never know if that is, you might not be capitalizing on your talent stacks and you might not be pushing them any further if you're not exercising them. So that's the thing. It requires the constant work, but start early, be curious. Don't be dismayed by, um, Don't be dismayed by, you know, not being an expert or not being the top or whatever and keep driving and and keep pulling on those threads. I mean, that's I'm I'm still a rookie at this and I'm still trying to figure it out. But for the first time in my life, I actually feel like I'm in the right place. So it's good. That's good. Good Good job, Atish. Yeah. Gold star for me. Chris, anything? Nice growth. Uh, just follow me on Elephant Scout. Uh, We'll be announcing the podcast soon on Elephant Scout, the Instagram at Elephant Scout. Uh, and then the podcast is going to launch February 23rd. Ooh. Yes. And we still don't have a title. I mean, we have a potential title, but we'll know on Tuesday when I announce it. The so a month I, from today. Uh, yeah. No, a month and a day from today. That'd be the 24th. Well, this podcast comes out on a Monday, right? Oh, right. Oh. I guess, you know how months are? Like a month? I don't understand how you announce things. Like one month out, even though it's like 26 days, it doesn't yeah, make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah that's, I, I forget. I was reading something that basically said that if we did, if we did our numbers based a different way, like we work off of a base... 10 no we work off of a base 12 system okay right so like inches and all that kind of stuff like our system's kind of fucked up but if we instead worked off of a base 10 system 
all of our months would be square and aligned and they would have the exact same number of days because we do 365 days divided into 12 months. But instead, if we do, you, know, you see what I'm saying? So it's yeah, like yeah, we yeah. can have perfectly square months. And I don't know why we don't do that. I don't know either, man, because the metric because system like, just sounds so much better. Well, we made our we made our concept of time based around seasons and but that was when we were a primarily agricultural society it's like i don't want to uproot everything here or anything like that but it's like we're not anymore so who cares about that why don't we instead make it based on something else like something a little more logical yeah get rid of daylight savings not that we uh not that we participate in that yeah yeah that that i have no idea uh, nothing, nothing much to plug for me at Atish Mazish on Instagram. Um, I have the first stack for the ramen profitable reading list. Again, a social media account that I have not created, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I have the first stack almost complete. I'm finishing up the last book for the month of January. Uh, so then I'm going to be doing a write up on those or maybe even a quick video. Not sure. Playing around with it. Talent stacking, baby. We're <laughs> seeing how it goes. So uh, make sure you follow on that. Uh, And last of all, listening to the podcast, please like, comment, subscribe. Uh, Do all those things because not only does it tell us what things are good, what is good content, all that kind of stuff. But in the near future, I would like to start integrating uh, more more stories from the field, more uh, young entrepreneurs out there hustling. So give us a shout. 